Welcome to the Teachers Who Quit podcast, the number one podcast for teachers who quit or really want to. And I'm your host, Tierney, your ex-teacher bestie. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Miss G. I am so excited to have you on the Teachers Who Quit podcast. And to kick us off, I'd love it if you'd introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your teaching career and then how you ended up pivoting into where you are now. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, I taught for 11 years, uh, all in Title I inner city schools. Absolutely loved it when I did it. Um, Thought that I was going to be a teacher for the rest of my life and never pictured myself doing anything else. Um, And then I had this this moment where uh, teaching was no longer bringing me joy. And my health was declining, especially my mental health. Um, I wasn't being the mom that I wanted to be. I wasn't able to you know, be, be truly who I was and and the happy person that I've always been my entire life. And so shifted into instructional design and I've honestly never looked back. (laughs) Love that. And so let's go ahead and rewind it back to the beginning. I always like to ask people, what was that initial point where you were like, I want to become a teacher? Where did that spark begin for you? Oh, great question. Um, I have literally known since I was a kid that I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, I remember like lining up my stuffed animals in my bedroom and teaching them lessons. And <laughs> uh, I was very fortunate in my high school, there was a course that I could take where um, I had like a two hour block and I got to go into an elementary school and help the teacher. And it was kind of like a prep for uh, students who maybe wanted to be a teacher in college and go to college for that and just fell in love with it. I loved it. Love hearing that. Okay, so you were an education major? Yes, uh, elementary education. Nice. Okay, so with that, where did you go for um, your education? Like what um, university did you end up choosing? So I went to University of Colorado. Um, Yep, got my degree in elementary education. And the program that I chose specialized in urban and diverse populations. Nice. Um, And so it was really life-changing for me to see that. And I knew that that's where I wanted to to dedicate my life and um, work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. And so... Um, elementary education. So what grades within elementary did you teach? Uh, I taught third, fourth, and fifth. Same. I am an upper <laughs> elementary girl. I love upper elementary. Um, I started in third. I did third for about three years. And then I did fourth for like a short period of time. And then I did fifth for probably the longest of my time before I dabbled in sixth grade that last oh. year. When I just told you in June, I said, yep. that was sixth <laughs> grade for me. So love that. Okay. 
Um, what content did you teach? Were you like self-contained? I know here in Texas, we have some of the elementary teachers who teach all the content areas, or then you have like what I was, which was departmentalized, where I just taught math mm -hmm. and I had a reading teacher and we swapped. How was yours? Yeah, great question. Um, when I started, we were self-contained. So I started or I taught everything. And then the last, uh, let's see, four years, maybe five years, um, I was literacy only. So I was the reading writing teacher and we platooned and we'd flop. So I had two classes, one for the morning and one for the afternoon. Nice. All right. So um, if you could go ahead and paint a little picture for us for what kind of schools did you teach? And I know you said Title I. Um, and then you mentioned how your degree kind of specialized in urban education. But what uh, what else made up those school cultures or those school environments where you taught? Paint the picture for what it was like for you um, during your time in those 11 years. Sure. Um, I actually uh, was kind of like a specialist in turnaround schools. So in those 11 years, I actually taught at five different schools, um, which sounds crazy, I know. But basically what would happen is when schools were underperforming um, for like an extended period of time, the district goes in and they shut them down and they reopen them. And basically when that happens, they go in um, and they kind of fire everyone, all the teachers, all the principals, admin, everybody, and they rebuild. Um, and through that, that was kind of where I specialized as I was part of rebuilding a school. Um, so that meant turning them around, uh, inch or increasing student achievement, student performance. Um, and I mean, it's it, we saw great results, but a lot of the people who did that, you know, you're there for a couple of years and then you move to the next school to help turn it around. And then now you're kind of leaving behind what you built. So uh, definitely loved it while I was doing it, though. OK, wow. Yeah. Turnaround schools. I've worked at a pretty big district here in my city and um, I know all about those turnaround schools. So it sounds like every time the district, you know, had this plan for rolling out, you know, the turnaround process, you were selected to go to that specific school more so than you being like, I'm going to, you know, say I want to go here. Like they kind of placed you? Uh, I had choice in it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, w I was able to choose where I wanted to go and what I wanted to, to do, um, which was nice for me because I was able to slowly get closer and closer to home. There was one point where my commute was, it was like 45 minutes there and 45 minutes back. So I was able to choose schools that were closer to me with a less commute time. Ooh, I know about those long commutes. So um, I got into teaching from a program called Teach for America. So with TFA, you do not have the opportunity to choose um, mm -hmm. the school that you prefer to teach in. Um, 
One, everyone knows when you sign on with TFA, you're teaching in Title I schools, which is great because that's what I wanted to do. My yep. background comes from being able to have a very quality education. I went to a pre-K through 12 um, private Christian school going up, growing up. And so when I found out about the inequity that existed within the education system and how kids who really looked like me and where other minorities got the short end of the stick, I was not okay with that. And I wanted to become a part of the solution. So joined TFA or rather was accepted to TFA because they barely accept anyone for their rigorous process. And then I ended up getting placed at a school that was here in wonderful Texas, but it was literally about an hour away from where I lived in Texas. Yeah. So there and back, I was just like, oh my gosh. So my love for podcasts really started during those <laughs> times of um, that long, long, long commute. So I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so with that, I want to know, um, where was your pivot point? So what I like mm. to ask is, you know, elaborating on that statement, when was that initial thought that came into your mind of, I think I'm not going to be doing this anymore. And I might want to just, you know, transition from the classroom. Where was that initial starting point within those 11 years? Yeah. You know, I don't think I had just one moment. Um, I think for me, it was kind of a, a series of events. Um, there were multiple times in my career where I got down on myself and was like, I don't, I don't like this. What am I doing? Um, and I guess I should rephrase that. It's not that I didn't like it. It's maybe that I, I didn't feel supported by like my administration. I loved being in the classroom with kids, but I didn't feel like I was getting the support that I needed. Um, in that, like I said, there is a series of events. Um, last year, I had the most incredible team ever, loved them. Um, and we know as teachers, like you rely on your teammates, your teammates are your everything. And so was put on this fantastic team. Um, and for me, my principal was like, you know, I want to um, I want you here. I see you in my vision. I see you helping us change this school to a green school, uh, which means, you know, we're meeting expectations. And then literally had these conversations with her for months. And then reductions came and I got ribbed uh, and rib reduction in building. And I was absolutely crushed. Um, and I just didn't understand it. And I didn't understand how I had been in these conversations and how I was going to be in leadership and how I was helping turn around the school and they loved everything I was doing to the next day, I'm getting a phone call saying, I'm sorry, we've cut your position. Um, and that was really hard for me. And so once I got cut, I ended up getting placed at a different school. Um, so that's why I said I've had a lot of freedom, but in this instance, I was placed somewhere and it was, I, I went in trying to be as positive as I possibly could, but I think I was already feeling pretty crushed from being cut from the school that I, I loved my teammates and I loved where I was. Um, I sent my own children there, you know, to go to school. 
and the school that I was placed at, the the culture, um, I never felt like I got to really know anyone there. I uh, didn't feel super supported. Um, and I'm known for my classroom management and the classroom culture there. I mean, I, I wasn't even teaching, honestly. I couldn't even get through a lesson without some sort of behavior disruption. And it was just very disheartening. Um, the second week of school, I got COVID. And so that was tough to, you know, I had I'd had those kids in my class for five days when I got COVID because <laughs> uh, I tested or I tested the following, I, I take that back, six days because I tested the following Tuesday. Um, and so then, you know, was out for 10 days and you're trying to build this positive classroom culture and that's hard to do when you're not there. <laughs> uh, came back and things were stolen from me. Things were ripped off the walls. Um, and I think mentally, I was just really having a hard time and not in a good space. Um, and never really crawled out of that hole. I, my, this was like the series. Um, I mean, I was crying in my car at lunch every day. And like, you know, that clock was getting closer to me coming back to to class and I had to wipe my tears and slap a smile on my face and walk back in there like nothing had happened. And that was that was hard. Um, and then I think maybe the the defining point in that series of events was I came home and I'm a single mom of two kids. Um, and my son was being a five year old. He wasn't doing anything, um, but I was just I had such little patience and I was so drained from my day and I had nothing left to give to my own children. And I snapped at him and I screamed, stop it. And I've never screamed ever at him in my life. And he just looked at me and his eyes welled up with tears. And then I started crying and I'm getting emotional telling this story. I was like, I am so sorry. Like you did not deserve that you you shouldn't have been on the receiving end of my frustration and my just being so down and where I was. And that was kind of my moment of like, I cannot keep doing this. Like to me, as a single mom, my kids are everything that I have. They are my everything and everything I do is for them. And when I can't give them me, and I can't be my best self and be an amazing mother and, you know, this, this normal positivity that I'd always had. I've always been known for my positive um, spirit and happiness and just always seeing the light in situations. And that light was gone. And so that was when I started applying. And I told my school, too. Um, I said, I am not happy. I am struggling. I need support and I'm applying for other jobs. And I still didn't get the support that I was asking for. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm making the right decision for me and my family. And at some point, I have to put my family first. And as much as I loved my students and as hard as it was to walk away, um, my my children and what I can provide for them at home was worth more than that.
Yes. When did you walk away exactly? Um, it was twenty twenty. Um, that was Thanksgiving break. Oh, November twenty twenty one. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yep. So I worked until Thanksgiving break and then left after break. Okay. So you talk about lack of support from admin. When you talk to them about how you were feeling and you shared that you told them, you know, straight up that you're pretty much unhappy, you need more mm -hmm. support. What would you say was their reaction to that? They listened. They said, we're so sorry you're feeling that way. How can we support you? Um, and they said, you know, when when these student behaviors are arising, um, send them to the office. And, you know, you don't need to deal with it. Send them to the office. And I, I appreciated that, but any, any classroom teacher knows if you're trying to build a strong um, rapport with your children and classroom management, you don't send them away, right? And there were times when I did, but then also I had this group of probably like 12 boys who really struggled with behavior, really struggled um, managing themselves and their bodies. And it turned into a game for them of what can I do so I get sent to the office? Because when I go to the office, I just get to sit there and I don't have to work. And, you know, so like they offered support, but the support that they offered didn't do anything and the kids knew too they knew if they got sent to the office nothing was going to happen and that they got to sit there all day and not do their work and they got to leave the class and then their friends also got sent to the office so really they just got to sit around and hang out with their friends so did you ever have any follow-up conversations with your admin after they offered their version of what they thought was support well you're looking at it on the outside as a teacher being like okay, they're going to you, they're sitting, they're getting to play with the other friends they have who are sent here. That's not effective, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, the support that I'm looking for is X, Y, and Z. Like, were you able to have any follow-up conversations with them about how to modify their support to be actually supportive and beneficial? Yeah, and I think um, the response was, well, then we'll make it not fun for them. Okay, well, <laughs> what does that mean? What is, what is, what's happening? And I think too, a lot of them needed to work with the school psych. They needed to work with the school counselor and the school counselor wanted to, but they were so overwhelmed that they didn't have time to do it, you know, because they had so many kids on their caseload that they weren't able to give the support and that's not their fault. Um, there were just there are too many kids and too many needs. And um, I think if we had those resources, that you know, to actually work with those students and talk about impulse control and um, really what they needed, but there just there wasn't the resources or support for it, you know. Yeah, understand that. And that goes back to equity, right? And when we're talking about these Title I schools and how mm -hmm. funded by property tax and all of those things play the role in it, our kids aren't able to receive what they need in order to be successful, yeah. which is horrible. Um, so it is. So you really see that 
there. The change truly is a systemic issue that needs to be, you know, completely modified from the root up. Um, and it 100% is. I mean, I had 32 kids in my class. And I look at my own children who now go to like a suburban school and my daughter has 16 kids in her class, you know? So <laughs> how is that, how is that equitable? It's not. Not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah. So it's so interesting. You talked about classroom management and I can talk about that all day long. Everybody knows that I'm classroom management and culture consultant. So it always makes my soul cry a little bit whenever I talk with a teacher and they're like, the behaviors are too much and I quit. I'm like, no, I couldn't help you. I know. <laughs> you know, it was multiple things. It's not just yep. behaviors. Like you said, you said you were strong pretty much in classroom management and yeah. that specific situation happening that year along yep. with the lack of support along with not getting to know anyone there along with you having to cry every day in your car and then you know kind of suppress those feelings to get ready to go serve the kids serve the kids serve the kids yeah that's a lot and um you know when you were sharing your story and you were talking about all these emotions that, you know, was how you felt on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm curious on how are you feeling now? So can you paint the picture of yeah. what is it like now? How do you feel now every day as opposed to how you were feeling when you were in the classroom? Oh, my goodness. Well, to give a little context, um, I'm an instructional designer and I work from home now four days a week. And then I go into the uh, office one day a week. Um, so, uh, I mean, it has just been a monumental shift. I am happy. I smile. I laugh. <laughs> um, the, I just, I feel such low stress. And it's so funny because everyone else on my team are also former teachers. Um, and we talk about it where we're like this, you know, as an instructional designer, sure, you have deadlines, you have projects you're creating. Um, sometimes you have a short turnaround time of something that you have to create, and that can maybe be stressful. But I have not come anywhere near the level of stress I felt while I was teaching. And that has been amazing. Um, and I think, too just, I feel like myself again. I feel like I lost myself in the last year and a half and I'm finally back to being myself again. And, and that's, that's just been huge for me. I love hearing that. Like the, the joy has been reignited and that's amazing. Um, yeah. Because everyone should wake up filled with joy. It's, it's horrible waking up every day filled with misery. I've definitely been there because of teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I know exactly what that's like. And so I'm curious too, did you have to write any kind of formal resignation letter um, before you pivoted to instructional design and kind of, did you give a two week notice? Because that's one of the biggest questions I get like, 
how do I resign? What does that look like? And it looks different <laughs> for every single district or school that you work. Yeah, for. yeah. You know that when I wasn't returning to the classroom in June 2021, like I said, that was my last hoorah. Um, it was literally a button that we clicked and it was on our um, letter of or our contract that they offered you that they just sent masks because it's big, 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 big district. So they just send that out to your email. You either click yes or no. And if you click no, they say, do you want to keep your insurance through August? Yes or no. And then you just, boom, you're, you're resigned. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> what was that like for you and your district, the whole resignation process? Yeah. Um, I did write a formal letter of resignation. Um, went into my principal's office. I was terrified. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, and I did it first thing in the morning too. So like whole time driving to school, I was like, just, you know, the butterflies in my stomach and like just feeling sick to my stomach, nervous. Um, went into my principal's office, actually had a very, very good conversation. Um, I was so scared that, you know, they were going to be upset and that they were going, and of course they weren't thrilled that I was turning in my resignation, but also they were incredibly supportive in saying, you need to do what's best for you. And if this is what you need right now, we understand and we support you in that. And, and also, you know, my principal did say to me as well, like, you haven't been hiding the fact things aren't that you're not happy um it would be different if i had put on this facade of everything's great everything i'm happy but you know i did reach out for support i did tell them that i was struggling i did say i need help um and so to their point they're like this this isn't some huge surprise um they knew that i was i was having a hard time and they truly were like, we want to support you in, in whatever it is that you need. And they did say, like, we think you're an incredible educator and we hope that this isn't goodbye forever. Um, sometimes you need a break. And if that's what you need right now and you need a break to, you know, focus on you and your mental health and come back, like, we support you in that. So that felt really, really good. Um, so turn in my letter of resignation. It was three weeks until Thanksgiving break at that point. Um, and then plus the week of break. So um, I guess they had about a month's notice. Um, although I'm pretty sure I could have turned it in and just walked out. I don't, um, <laughs> I mean, it, we didn't have any sort of like, you have to stay through this length or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, obviously I broke a contract, so I don't know that I could continue to work at that district if I wanted to go back. Um, and I could be wrong on that though, but I know I had talked to my, um, like union rep before I turned it in and asked, and I was basically told like, nothing really happens. So... You know, you lose your vacation time. So there was that. It's not like they pay out your PTO, um, which that was hard to, I had like four months saved up. So I was walking away from a lot of PTO. Um, but at that point, I, I didn't even care. I <laughs> honestly, 
I was like, I, I'm done. I need a change. Um, and I, I still don't regret walking away from that four months of, of PTO. So. <laughs> yeah. And you talked about a union. Oh my gosh. So when I'm working, when I'm talking about classroom management, coaching teachers with that, I work with beginning teachers. So those between zero to five years of experience in the profession. One of the biggest things that I tell them is like, join a union. Mm -hmm. I wish somebody would have told me that. Um, like my very first year in, in teaching. And I didn't really necessarily need it at that point in time. But it's always important for you to have like an advocate on your side. Yes. Um, we would hope that we all have fabulous administrators who will advocate on our behalf in a district that will treat us right. But that is the farthest thing from the truth, mm -hmm. the farthest thing from the truth. And you have to protect yourself. I, I mean, I've seen some horrible things happen to some amazing teachers from false things, maybe even shared by students about them. That yep. wasn't true. And so it's always important to have a union. I think that was the best monthly fee that I could ever give from my paycheck was having that protection of a union. Yeah. Love, love, yeah. Love and so one thing too, that I wanted to um, talk about is when you decided to pivot into instructional design, how did you even learn about instructional design? Um, where yeah. you many different opportunities and that won't sound like a great fit or what made instructional design your winner? That is such a good question. So I had no idea what I wanted to do uh, <laughs> and no idea what I would qualify for when I started looking for jobs. And actually, um, it was in conversations with one of my friends from corporate who worked in the corporate world and said, well, have you thought about um, instructional design? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And she actually told me, she said, well, in my company, she said, most of them are teachers or like former teachers or have a teaching degree. So you should look into that. And I said, oh, interesting. Okay. Um, which is so funny because now I don't work for the company that she did, but I work for a different corporate company. And same thing. Literally all of us are former teachers. <laughs> and stumbled upon this, I guess. Um, but yeah, so I my background, my degree is in elementary education. My background is as a teacher. But I was fortunate enough that the company that I work for saw the value in that, knows that how hard teachers work and, you know, all of the different skills that you have to have to become a teacher. Um, and my job actually wasn't labeled as instructional designer when I applied for it. It actually was labeled as a curriculum writer. And then it wasn't until I got hired that they gave me my title and it said instructional designer. And I was like, what? <laughs> but yeah, um, it was actually labeled as a curriculum writer. So, you know, I, I would say expand your search <laughs> beyond just instructional designer because that's not what my job was labeled as. But yeah, that's kind of how I found out about it. 
um, was through a friend who said, you know, you should look into this. Everyone at my company, they're all former teachers. So that's kind of how it started. Okay, so instructional design is on the forefront of your mind. How do you tackle towards to actually applying for these positions? So did you leverage LinkedIn? Were you on Indeed? Um, Where did you go to search for these roles? Oh, good question. Um, I'm pretty sure I just use Google. (laughs) I think Google has like a job search on there. Um, And then I did make a LinkedIn. Uh, It didn't help me at all, but I have heard a lot of people who get positions through LinkedIn. So I do know that it is a great resource, Um, but I literally had just started it. So I have like 12 connections. Um, but yeah, I tailored my resume so that it didn't look so teachery, I guess. Um, I just Googled like instructional designer resumes, curriculum writer resumes, um, business resumes, and then, you know, took out the things that weren't applicable. Um, Meaning like there were certain things in my resume that were specific to like the district that I worked in. And if if I was applying to a different school within the district would look incredibly impressive. But to anyone else who didn't know the inner workings of a school, they would be like, huh, Why? what is that? So tried to tailor it to like a more business looking resume. Um, truly just by using Google. <laughs> And then started applying and started sending out resumes, um, sent out a lot of resumes. I will say now from being on the other side of it, um, if someone is looking at applying, I would say talk to every person that you know who works in corporate. Um, Because like for my position, if I refer someone, I get a bonus in the corporate world and they don't even have to work in the same division. So if you know someone in their IT department, they can still refer you and it's still a foot in the door. Um, And to a recruiter, if they're getting referred by someone who currently works at the company, your chances of getting an interview just skyrocket. I did not know that when I was applying and I wish someone had told me, (laughs) but that's definitely my advice to anyone who's applying. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Google some examples of instructional designer resumes. That's excellent. Um, I was speaking with someone else who is in the ed tech sector, specifically a senior customer success manager. By the time, this episode comes out, her episode will be released. And so hearing your add-on to how to be successful and working your resume is a a nice addition to what she shared about making sure that you include action verbs, Mm, that you include uh the impact and the results in some quantifiable data. Um, Yes. Yeah, because 
Creative lesson plans for third grade students is not going right. to <laughs> what you need. You have to be right. able to talk about the impact, the results that pull in those data, those numbers. You have to, and you have to speak their language too. She was telling me they use something very interesting like um, cross-functional teams is what they use. Yeah. She was, she was using other terminology that's, you know, in the teacher space. And when she found out what it was, she was like, oh, yeah, I have that. And she learned to right. speak their language. So essentially by you, you know, Googling and looking at, okay, how are they wording it? How is their verbiage and how can I reframe what I have done mm-hmm. to, you know, be in alignment there? That That's a winning combination for sure. Yeah. And actually, in addition to that, um, I had purchased a resume template from Etsy and I was trying to create my own um, and it looked good, but I was looking at these ones on Etsy that were just beautifully done. And it was like $7. So $7 well spent. Um, It came with a cover letter template. It came with a resume template, but it also included a whole list of action words, um, a whole guide on how to write your resume, how to tailor it to your company. And it was incredibly useful. Um, So yeah, Google is definitely your friend. And then, at least the the template that I purchased on Etsy came with like a guide of what words to use and and kind of how to structure your resume, which was incredibly helpful to me. Okay, so you talked about you know your work from home schedule four days a week. Then you have one week one day where you have to go into the office during the week, um, and it feels super low stress for you. I'm curious, like, what are your hours um, that you're working? Uh, currently I work about eight to four. Um, sometimes I'll start a little sooner. Sometimes I'll start a little later, but in general, I'm about eight to four. That's awesome. Um, so I saw the way that I discovered you was this nice TikTok where you were kind of taking us through and touring us through the space and kind of what, you know, your day looks like <laughs> and what the environment's like. And it was just like getting so many views. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. So for those who haven't seen it, we're all obviously going to link your TikTok down below in the show notes <laughs> for everyone. But I would love for you, can you describe what a typical day looks like for you as an instructional designer? Sure. Yeah. Um, so generally, uh, log in for the morning. And on my team, we all kind of set like our preferences for how we work. Um So meaning we have like a shared Google slide that has every team member and talks about how they like to start their day, what they need to do. Um, And for me, I said, you know, I like to have just some peace and quiet to myself to get organized, read through my emails, look through any chats, kind of like mentally prepare myself for my day without having to talk to people. Uh, (laughs) just doing it on my own. And most of the people on my team are also like that. Um, But we set these working agreements because people are incredibly respectful of that. And so nobody bothers me until 830. um, Because they know, oh, Sarah, you know, needs her time to to get settled in. Um, So at 830, every day, I have a team meeting. 
and that's with my manager and my other teammates and we kind of talk about projects that we have what's going on what everyone's working on who needs help that's another thing that's a new new thing to me like if i have you know a training that i'm creating and i need support on it i can say hey does someone have the time to help me and if they don't my manager will will make time they'll move a project they'll move an assignment they'll move something so that i can get support on it which is just incredible um but yeah basically the projects that i do um the amount of time that i have to work on them varies but essentially um someone will come in and say hey we need a training on this and it might be like a new hire sometimes it's um you know they're adding a new application and so we need to train people on it and they give me all of the details they give me all the information they give me everything that i need and then it's my job to make it beautiful and turn it into a training <laughs> so it's essentially still teaching i'm just not the one who's teaching it and um as far as like scope and timelines that just depends um like today i'm finishing up a training that's going to be completely self-paced uh self-done computer-based training which means we don't need a trainer to lead it um the training in total is coming out to be about 10 minutes long start to finish and i've been given like three days to do it um so just for like some time frames you know um, and that's doing it completely by myself. Uh, there's other trainings where we'll do like, you know, a week or two week long new hire. And sometimes that takes months. Um, if you have other teammates on it that are helping you, you know, it's going to take less time because we divide and conquer. Um, but yeah, honestly, my day is spent mostly just creating trainings and I, I love it um, because it's it's teaching just without the teaching. <laughs> it's like the lesson planning part of teaching, I guess you could say. Noted. So if you enjoy lesson plans, instructional design might be something for you to look into. So with that, um, what tools are you using to actually like build out these trainings? I know you have mentioned Google Slides for your working agreements, but what tools are you using to build out these um, self-paced or, you know, other ledge um, trainings? Yeah, so we use Articulate Rise and Articulate Storyline. Um, and I will also say I did not know how to use either of those before I started. I was trained on it. But if you're looking into something to, like, how can I teach myself? How can I build my resume? I know that those are big ones that a lot of employers look for, Articulate Rise and Articulate Storyline. And there are LinkedIn learning courses on both of those. Love that. That is very useful because a lot of people are always asking, what education, do, what education you know, degrees do I need or what um, certificates do I need? To be an instructional designer so you're sharing about this resource with linkedin that's really great yeah um, do you have any other resources you would recommend for anyone to explore um if they're interested in instructional design 
Hmm. Let me think. I don't think so. Okay. Um, yeah, those are the two main ones that we use. Um, maybe taking a course on like adult learning theory um, would be a good one. But like I said, a lot of these, a lot of this is on LinkedIn. It's, you know, fair, it's not like you're signing up for a semester long college course or something. <laughs> it's self-paced. You do it on your own time. Um, and then it's just a, a thing that you can say that you have. That's really good adult learning theory because um, I was just looking at something the other day. Someone had posted on Instagram story and they were talking about, you know, people mess up when they kind of want to treat uh, training, PDs, etc. Um, with adults in the same way that they would with students. Um, it, it's definitely a different approach. Sure, the core competencies might be there to be successful, mm -hmm. but just the wording that you choose, especially like I know <laughs> we're both coming from elementary. There are certain things that, you know, it's just in our vocabulary when we're teaching a lesson that could easily slip into an adult situation, but it's like, oh, that's probably, I should have reframed it here. So right. I would agree, the adult learning theory is super, super important because it's not just a copy paste from how you would with your students. And it's like, well, of course, but really you, you would be surprised how many people don't really take that into consideration. And it leaves like these adults feeling like, why are you talking to me this way? Or why are you- yeah. <laughs> I actually saw a TikTok of a lady um, sharing that the other day. She was saying how she, she was in her car and she was kind of recording herself talking about, I just sat through this training and, you know, basically they weren't really treating her or the other adults in the room like professionals. And it's like, you have to know your audience and how to adjust to them. So mm -hmm. really gonna yeah. Do, yeah, adult learning theory is really good. So you talked about the Etsy template for your resume do you have um any other um resume tips for teachers that are trying to transition into instructional design other than maybe purchasing that template and um getting some tips off google did you use anything else when building yours out besides that etsy tool that's all I did. And I did send it, send my resume to my friends in corporate oh, yeah. um, to kind of review before I sent it out okay. and get their input on like, cause you know, if you send it to another teacher, yeah, they're like, oh, it looks great. But sending it to someone who had a totally different perspective was super helpful to me. Yes, very much so. So I would love to hear from you about where can the listeners connect with you online, Miss G? Where can they find you? <laughs> I am only on TikTok, uh, but my TikTok handle is it's me, Miss G, and that is where you can find me. Love it. We will definitely have that link down below. Thank you so much, Miss G. Thank you for listening to the Teachers Who Quit podcast. Keep listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe and leave us a review to get a shout out on our socials. And remember to shamelessly choose you.